Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast which was for the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, the last episode of our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from the Ethical Panda Family of Podcasts. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Family of Podcasts. And today we are finishing up our look at Thor as we talk about Minute 115, which begins with Thor walking away from Eric towards a silver case and ends with Loki in a reflection putting words in Eric's mouth. And before we cut to our break, I just want to say how delightful it has been this season to talk with Matthew uh, through this entire film. Uh, it has been an absolute treat having uh, having you here and uh, being a part of these conversations. Um, you know, I, I when I initially asked you for it, when I was thinking of like guests or hosts to come on for the show, um, I you were the first person uh, that came to my mind after um, Iron Man. I just, we just had such a delightful conversation, and so the fact that you were so enthusiastic and agreed uh, right away it just uh, it delighted me to no end. And it's been a fantastic season. So I just wanted to uh, say thank you for all the wonderful uh, conversations that we have had about this movie these past few months. Well, thank you. It has been such a pleasure. I, I appreciate you being willing to create space for me to bring in everything from my uh, Norse pagan ideas to 1970s disco music. You know, all of it, we found a way to make it relevant. So, Andy, thank you so much. The listeners uh, really appreciate you giving me the space. It's been great. We'll have a lot more to talk about this one final minute right after this. This is it, everybody. This is the end of the season. We so appreciate you listening and being a part of our community. Again, just as a reminder, join us over in the Marvel Movie Minute Executive Lounge over on Facebook. Join us in our Discord community. And you know what? If if you'd like to hear some of our hiatus episodes, become a member. We're going to have those uh, releasing periodically between this season and next. And that's the only way to get those. So just go to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute. You can find out all about our different communities. You can also find out about our membership plans. The most it costs is $5 a month or you get a discount if you join at the annual rate. Thanks, everybody. All right, so we we start with, again, Fury just kind of going right to business as we talked about. Eric is falling behind him, and, and we come up to this silver case. And, and we do have a couple of background actors throughout this, just people, like, stationed at every kind of intersection of these hallways. Uh, who are we seeing in the background? You know, I, I, I can't exactly tell, but, yeah, it looks like there are, I mean, per, I guess— shield regulations right you have a shield agent stationed at either end of each of these two long hallways just standing there uh, stationary at the beginning there was a person who was walking away and then also there were two uh it looked like women who were in kind of scientist shield scientist outfits one of which who uh, like they were walking behind nick and one of them sat down at a computer uh, behind him and you know is just kind of busy working away through this whole thing so clearly they're all people who are at least they're allowed to be down here while uh, while Nick is talking about the Tesseract with with Eric. And I, it's so well done because, again, you know, it, it shows that, like, yeah, this is a working area. Science is happening. But also there is never a moment where you don't see someone both in front of and behind Eric. Like he there, there's never a moment where he'd be like, oh, this is nonsense. I'm just running away. I'm going back to New Mexico or whatever. 
he's he, there's always someone there watching him, which is just it, it just adds the ominousness and you know kind of like the first two movies. Shield was kind of the Keystone Cops, but they could be there when you really needed them. This movie, they're you know, they're effective and they're a little bit scary. And then now here at the end, we're really starting to get like, yeah, no, Shield is a a serious organization that has some real muscle to flex. Yeah, right. Um, and we get a very kind of quotable line from Nick Fury: "Legend tells us one legend tells us one thing, history another," which feels like such a nice kind of. You know, kind of summary of so much of what this movie has been about, about finding the reality behind these legends and that there is some uh, – that on the one hand, like, yeah, the legends are not really – are not the reality, but the reality is also not, like, purely scientifically easily explainable. It's a it's a funky line. I, I, I don't completely love it. It does feel like a very written line. I think that's, that's – as I, as, I, as I hear it, I'm like, yeah, but what is that actually saying, right? It's just – it's one of these lines that feels like such a such a written movie line. But, you know, it is what it is. I guess I feel like if there is a character who would very happily, like, say the kind of things that sound very pretentious and portentous in the moment, <laughs> and then you think about them later, and you're like, that didn't make any sense. Uh, Nick Fury is that guy. But Probably. I get you. It does feel like a very written line. Um, and now we get to see the Tesseract, which yeah. I think we did see discussed. Did, did we see it discussed briefly? We saw the casket of Agent Winters, and originally I was getting these two confused. Yeah. Did we see the Tesseract at the start of this movie? We never see the Tesseract at the start of the movie, but they, there was a conversation. Uh, we talked about this. I think it was in the script. It was never filmed, or at least if it was, it wasn't a deleted scene, where the um, the Warriors 3, when they go down to the uh, to Odin's vault mm-hmm. before, before Odin shoes them away— um, they mention something about the, you know, the Tesseract down there, but but otherwise, this is actually its first appearance okay. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And of course, we're going to see a lot more of it in the next movie, the Captain America movie, right. uh, and, and and there it is specifically linked to Norway and the Seven Hundreds, and so it definitely has something to do with the Asgardians. And I was wondering when you were doing that timeline uh, last minute, do you remember where? Because I think clearly the implication is supposed to be that, you know, the capsicle has just been found, you know, that that they have this Tesseract because the the events that happen at the end of the Captain America movie of Captain America being found under the ice and the Tesseract being found under the ice has happened pretty recently. But do you remember where that is supposed to actually like when the digging up of Captain America and the bringing him back and thus them getting the Tesseract? When does that fall in the timeline? Captain America actually. Uh, I don't know. The timeline is the timeline. He doesn't get retrieved until 2011. Oh, okay. I think that's where the mistake was. I think I was thinking that they find the Tesseract in the Arctic waters at the same time that they find and dig up Cap. But no, you're right. There were two separate events. So Yeah, okay. right, right. Yeah, because, um, uh, I mean, just looking at the information on the Marvel Cinematic Universe wiki, yes, because Howard Stark retrieves it uh, from the Arctic uh, long before they find Captain America. And so we get this, again, great scene of just the way the Tesseract is introduced. It's in this, like, briefcase with all these kind of, like, reddish power wires around it. And I don't think we ever see that particular setup again, but it just looks – it's so ominous looking. You know, and you see it kind of crackling with power in a way I really appreciate. And, you know, I didn't know what it was. And I think when I first saw it, it's like I don't – I don't think I even realized that the cube itself was the thing. Because it looks – the way it's set up, it's like this whole case seems so weirdly designed that it almost seems like this whole case is something to be wary of. 
Yeah, but I think we later learned that, like, the Tesseract is also, like, because the reason why in Captain America someone can hold the Tesseract, whereas, like, you can't hold an Infinity Stone, as we learned at the end of uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, is because, like, the tes- the, the reality stone, the, the Infinity Stone is inside the Tesseract. Yeah, it's, it, right, it's its own, it was the Space Stone. Yeah, exactly. Here we're getting to the metaphysics of uh, stone, of reality stones, so that's kind of right. a... A long yeah. thing there. Uh, and we get uh, Nick Fury saying, you know, uh, Eric asks him what it is, and he says it's power, maybe unlimited power. And and that's such a great, um, you know, ironic line, especially knowing what we know now, because I think what he means is, like, this could be, like, to solve the energy crisis, like that kind of, like, electricity power. But, of course, we now know, like, this could be part of the power to literally rule the universe or to have, you know, even just with this stone to conquer the world or, or much more than that. Well, and it's interesting, like, this is possibly the first time that Nick Fury has actually cracked a, even a semblance of a smile since mm-hmm. he first appeared in Iron Man. Like, <laughs> like has did he has he smiled in any of these films? But, like, there's just enough smile, a smile on his face as he says, uh, you know, it's power, maybe unlimited power. I'm like, okay, so clearly this kind of excites him, this whole idea here. Right. I mean, I have to assume the weapons research has already been going on for some time by this point. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Okay, and so then we get this kind of last scene, which I, I'm curious your thoughts on. Loki appears <laughs> in the reflection, and he kind of turns, at, at looking right at the audience, but as though he's supposed to be looking at Eric, and he says, well, I guess that's worth a look. And then Eric repeats the line, though with a bit of a different inflection. What's happening here? Because this seems, I like the idea of, like, Loki noticing and sort of already starting to, like, have an influence on Eric but this feels like introducing a power set of like if I don't know if Loki's supposed to be a ghost here or like this feels like they had one idea of how to do Loki that then got totally abandoned because this has nothing to do with what we see of Loki either before or since. Well, yeah, I, I I don't know what I think about this, and really, is uh, this fits in kind of with the Loki? Um, I, I guess that sense of of like um, you know I, I I don't know I guess I was always like is he. Um, did he, so he fell, he, uh, just thinking of the timeline uh, and this again, I mean, he made it just falling through space. Apparently I don't, I, again, I don't have any sense as to what actually happened, but somehow he made it through space unaided from Asgard to Midgard in just a couple days and is here, um, and bitter and angry. Cause I mean, his face looks kind of like, like he's like, like his skin is like mottled and black and veiny. Mm-hmm. Like there's something going on with him. I don't know if it's from space or he hasn't had any golden apples recently. I don't know what it is, but he doesn't look healthy and he's made it all this way. And he either he's hiding like invisible and, or he's like possessing Eric at this particular moment. And we're just seeing his personality kind of coming through and the way that they decided to film it through the reflection. I don't know. I, I mean, that's why it's so confusing. Cause to me often, yeah, like when it, when it is, you see something in a reflection, it's supposed to be kind of like green goblin in the Spider-Man movies. It's like, it's something that exists mostly in Eric's head. And it's like, there's possession or like a part of Loki stayed with Eric or something like that, you know, cause clearly this Loki has an influence on Eric. Yeah. Yeah, it, it feels to me like they thought they were going to go in one direction, and then by the time they got to Avengers, they changed it entirely, because this just feels—it's one of those moments where I like it at first, and like, oh, okay, cool, so Loki's coming back, that's interesting, but it also—then you think about it, you're like, that, that doesn't fit, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I guess, it, I mean, it, you know, thinking about how to 
contextualize it where it would make sense. It's like, okay, we saw him come down to Midgard uh, when he talked to Thor in the shield containment cell, right? Right. And we assumed that he was kind of created kind of a, a you know, a, a, a space, like he put the, his little cone of silence down so nobody could see him. Nobody knew he was there. He was just by him. You know, Thor mm-hmm. still just seemed like he was by himself in the room. Same thing here. Like, okay, so he's he's here, but he's set up his spell where nobody can tell that he's actually here. And he's at the simultaneously using his mind control that we're going to see a lot more in the Avengers on Eric in this particular point. And so I guess that's how he's being used at this particular point. Yeah, it just feels weird. I, yeah, I just I, I don't know. I guess this was one of those things where it just felt like, well, how is he here? Why? How did he get here so fast? Like all of this stuff. Every time I see this ending, I, I feel like this is one of those post credit sequences that that I find most disappointing because I feel like it's just setting stuff up that I'm like, I, 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 none of this really makes that much sense to me in this moment. Yeah, I think I would say so as well. And and like, I, did he come here? I mean, he didn't know that like that this thing was going to happen. Like, why would he have come and kind of started taking over Eric? without knowing about the Tesseract? Or was he drawn here for the Tesseract? He's been standing here kind of observing it invisible. And in this moment, he's made the decision, hey, I can mm-hmm. I can tap into this particular mid-guardian and, and mind control him to kind of tap into the power. Like, maybe that makes more sense, like it, that the Tesseract is what drew him back to Midgard. Yeah, well, there's two things to think about here. One is as we, we just talked about before, this is before Feige really has like firm control over everything. And I, my understanding is there's still at this point was a lot of like not really sure about how do we coordinate all of these things. And Joss Whedon is directing this scene. He's also directing the Avengers movie. He is not directing the Captain America movie. And so I wonder if there was some like miscommunication about how the Tesseract was going to be introduced and maybe it would be introduced as more having a connection to Asgard and that like, you know, every Asgardian always knows where it is or something weird like that. Like, you know, whatever it is, it, it, it just doesn't seem to fit. Like it, it, and when you think about like how many movies and TV shows the MCU has had, the fact that there aren't more of these moments than there are is kind of amazing. Like to me, it's not a like, oh, look, the MCU is ruined. As you said, like there's some things that just don't line up and they've had to squeeze it all in. And I, I'm pretty happy just kind of writing this off as that. Like they wanted to let us know Loki's still around. They wanted to let us know Loki's kind of involved. Beyond that, I'm okay just kind of ignoring this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, this this just like that, the text we had before this post-credits scene here that said Thor will return in the Avengers. This is basically also just saying, oh, and Loki will too. I mean, that's really all that matters here, right? (laughs) I think it's very true. All right. Well, I think that's about all I have to say about this minute and this movie. What about for you? Any of the last things? No, it's just it's been it's been fun to go back and kind of revisit this whole thing and 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 uh, gain a newfound appreciation for the film. And yeah, uh, yeah looking forward to jumping into uh, jumping back in time to explore some Captain America now. You know, I think the biggest effect this has all had on me is the number of movie by minute podcasts that I now want to start. Um, I really want to do one on Desperado. Uh, I really want to do one on the Muppets, like three or four of these that I want to do that I have to keep reminding myself, you know, 24, seven, three, six, like there are only this many hours in a day. I do need to eat. I do need to earn a living. So, 
Uh, but, you know, if if at some point I can pull one of those off, I will have you to thank, Andy. So, again, thank you so much. It's been such a great pleasure working with you. Uh, to our audience, thank you so much. I uh, really hope you enjoy this. I, I know a new season coming out with Captain America that we're going to have great hosts for as well. Definitely keep tuning in to this podcast. Tune in to all the great things on The Next Reel. Tune in to all the stuff on The Ethical Panda. And most important, I've never really said this to y'all before, but just this one time, I want to say, have a good day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music